Sean Garland died last week at 84 years of age, but in one lifetime he seemed to live so many lives. A journey that began in Dublin's north inner city, it took in Moscow, Pyongyang and more besides. And the so-called super dollar scandal, an attempt to counterfeit US dollars, witnessed his attempted extradition to the United States. And if you're thinking, that sounds ripe for another edition of Hidden Histories with Donald <laughs> Fallon, you'd be right. It's time for another edition of Hidden <laughs> Histories with Donald Fallon. Donald, how are you? It's good to be here, good to be here. Uh, thanks for coming in this afternoon. Uh, the name Sean Garland uh, might not be familiar actually to a lot of people except bar what they might have heard in the news in the last few days uh, but the story is really really international here, it's isn't it? it's an incredible story and you know it's made for Hollywood and a new documentary about Sean Garland came out earlier in the year is titled The Man in the Hat which is a great name not a name he chose for himself but that is a code name that the CIA bestowed upon an elderly Irish man who they believed played no small role in a brazen attempt really to bring down the US economy the so-called super dollar scandal which we're mm. going to talk about today and I've held one of these super dollars these fake hundred dollar bills and believe me you know you could not tell looking at them and this life story today you know it jumps continents and you know it pulls in places as diverse as the Soviet Union North Korea and it's a reminder I suppose Sean's death was a reminder of the political force that the Workers Party once were Mm. you know in Irish politics and the Irish political arena in many ways is a fundamentally conservative place I mean there hasn't been a government in the history of this state which didn't have either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael in it which is extraordinary in itself Mm. but there was a time when, when this party which flirted very brazenly and very openly with Moscow had seven TDs, an MEP and dozens of councillors right across the island of Ireland and Garland is a central part of that story. I think uh, from the top of my head I could be wrong on this but I think they may be down to one uh, elected uh, councillor in the local authorities now out of 949. Uh, We'll come back to Super Dollars uh, in just a moment. His background though in Dublin, Sean Garland, uh, as you would expect in the north inner city in the 30s, uh, one of real poverty. Yeah, grim, grim. You know, born in in the north inner city in 1934, just off Mountjoy Square. Uh, And I suppose you can only describe 1930s Dublin as positively bleak. And as a young fellow in his 20s, he joins the IRA and takes part in the the very ill-fated border campaign, which was a mad moment really in history. I mean, they launched it at Christmas 1956. uh, And essentially, it was was like a Tet Offensive, you know, going over the border, striking, coming back, bombing BBC transmitters, burning custom huts. We may live to see custom huts on the border again. Who knows? And attacking army, army barracks. And Garland's contribution to that campaign was quite extraordinary. He actually joined the British Army. He went into the Gough barracks as a British soldier and was leaking out information from the inside to the IRA. So with the knowledge that Garland was providing them with, the IRA were able to launch attacks on that Armagh barracks thanks to their man on the inside. And when the regiment he was in was due to be shipped off to Kenya, he deserted. <laughs> he disappeared. He wasn't going to Kenya uh, to gather information well, there. So he, he disappeared back into the ranks of the fascinating IRA. Fascinating to think how long he might have been able to stay enlisted in the British Armed Forces had they not been going off to Kenya. Um, the famous Sean South from Gary Owen is part yes, of his tale as well. Yes, on New Year's Day 1957 Garland participates in a raid on Brookbrae barracks in Fermanagh and it's been the subject of, of several ballots. A small village with one street. I mean, it's a sleepy little town. 40 and IRA men in a lorry arrive in the early hours of New Year's Day and it's this chaotic firefight. And two, two young lads are killed, Fergal O'Hanlon and Sean South from, from Limerick. Uh, and, you know, both of whom took their kind of place in the pantheon of Irish nationalism then. Their funerals were these enormous spectacles. Mm. But Garland actually carried a dying Sean South back across the border, you know, and his funeral was this extraordinary spectacle, something that hadn't really been seen since the revolutionary period. But in general, the border campaign was a military failure and, you know, it was very much, I suppose, they, as far as the IRA were concerned, there may have been moral victories but there, there were no military victories mm. they were back in business though uh, deeply embarrassing for the Fianna Fáil government you know the Minister for Justice was a certain CJ Hawhey who was very ruthless in attempting to curtail the threat but you know Garland was there he was literally on the front lines of that campaign and that's New Year's Day in 1957 but then fast forward a few years by the 1960s then things are beginning to change I think Garland and young men like him felt uneasy with the kind of military side of things and they felt that if, if the IRA couldn't involve itself in social agitation then it didn't have a place in Irish life and he was really at the centre of pushing for 
the organisation to move in a, in a different direction. And as Brendan Behan always put it, you know, the first thing on the agenda is the split. Mm. And it happened. 69, 1969, the movement splits, the officials and the provisionals emerge. And I suppose the dominant narrative now has it that the latter were a much more ruthless organisation. But the officials, you know, had their own bite too. And in the early days of the organisation in particular, 1972, right after Bloody Sunday, they planted a bomb at Aldershot Barracks. That was the, the barracks of the parachute regiment. Didn't kill any soldiers, killed six civilians. Uh, and then in the aftermath of that, 1972, May 72, the official IRA goes on ceasefire, basically. But it remains as this kind of secret of force and it's known as Group B. So, you know, rumours of its demise were greatly exaggerated. It was mm. still involved in things like bank robbing. Famously, Vincent Brown's McGill magazine did a great expose piece on just the sheer level of activity yeah. of that shadowy organisation in, like, in things like bank robberies. But Garland's life was multi-tronged, you know, and by the, by the mid-70s, I suppose, in the eyes of state intelligence, he was the leading connector between this political party, the Workers' Party, and its military wing, which it pretended didn't exist, Group B. And, I mean, they feuded ruthlessly uh, with the provisionals and, indeed, with the INLA. Garland was actually shot in his car uh, in Ballymun, but he survived. And many young men didn't survive the feud. I mean, Seamus Costello, uh, the only leader of an Irish political party ever to be killed, member of the Irish Socialist Republican Party, mm. shot dead by the official IRA at 38 years of age. So the feuding was brutal and Garland was very, very lucky to come through with life. Yeah, it's remarkable to think, actually, that with so many uh, troubled historical stories in the past that, in fact, he was the only leader who was in office mm. at the time mm. uh, to mm. murder and only, only 38 years old. Um, obviously, given his politics and everything that was going on in the, the Eastern Hemisphere, Moscow was a natural ally. I think he viewed Moscow yeah, as a natural ally and they flirted with the KGB very directly. I mean, Garland approached the KGB looking for political training for members of the party. And the Soviet Union kind of found itself in a weird place when it came to Ireland because the most important thing for it in this part of the world, I think, was maintaining decent, they never really had friendly relations with Britain, but decent relations with the UK. So for that reason, you know, it often promised much to Republicans, but ultimately gave very little. And the other great power of the socialist family, of course, was North Korea, which today is basically a feudal society with yeah. a hereditary political class. It must be the only republic with a, with, a, with a monarchy of its own kind. But the view of the DPRK in the 70s and 80s was very different from, from today. And Garland and those close them had tremendous faith, a lot more faith, I think, in Pyongyang than they had in Moscow yeah. at the end of it. And now enter the super dollar. And for people who haven't uh, caught up with it before now, what exactly is or was well, a super dollar? Forget all this stuff about Russian phone hacking. I mean, this was real interference in the political arena by the socialist world. But in the 1990s, the US was alleging that the DPRK was embroiled in this attempt to undermine their economy by printing these immaculate fake hundred dollar bills. They were so good, actually, that many dollar bills were taken out of circulation in a total panic. Mm. And Garland had gone to Pyongyang in the 1980s at a time when the Workers' Party I mean this is amazing the Workers' Party had two TDs mm. at the time he went there so we had a party represented in the doll travelling to Pyongyang meeting yeah. the North Koreans To think of the grief that John Halligan got a couple of years ago <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah. there we were only a, co- a couple of decades back One historian says in a training camp 30 miles north of Pyongyang the six Group B members were taught kidnapping techniques explosive det- detonation and Korean martial arts mm. whatever use that would be back <laughs> but, in but Ireland why make fake dollars though? Why, what's why, the why, use of fake dollars? I suppose the idea was if you produce these you know, high quality fake dollars that what would happen is you'd sell them to outsiders in exchange for a lesser quality of genuine currency, if you know what I mean. So the, 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 the Lost Revolution, which is the history of the Workers' Party, notes that the operation was highly successful with around $1 million worth of the notes estimated to have been distributed. And the sheer volume of them was so it was, it raised such suspicion that Irish financial institutions basically stopped taking $100 bills. They couldn't tell which ones were real and which ones weren't. Uh, now, we mentioned that the, uh, the US authorities tried to have them extradited uh, to Washington, but that proved uh, impossible. 
It did. I mean, the super dollar scandal had far-reaching implications. The CIA always maintained his involvement. And then in 2005, he was arrested in Belfast and the US attempted to extradite him. So you have this Irish pensioner arrested on the streets of Belfast. He was up there for the Workers' Party Ordesh and an attempt by, by the US to extradite him. They released him on bail and he basically fled the northern jurisdiction uh, and came back down to the south. And then it was dragged through the high courts and went on and on and on. And it was a kind of never-ending saga. In some ways, it was still in limbo, actually, yes, uh, at yeah. the time of his death. So, of course, the US ultimately failed in their attempt to have him extradited. When he died, they brought his body up to Belfast and waked him in Belfast. And I think that might have been the first time he'd been back in the north, so to speak, since his arrest in Because any time he would have gone there, then he would have been subject the to... fear of extradition was so real. Uh, next year is the 50th anniversary of, of course, the split which uh, produced this movement all over. Yeah, I mean, yeah, in one lifetime, you know, Garland did a lot and it's for the historians to trash out the rights and wrongs of all of it. But next year, the 50th anniversary of the split, which created the provisionals uh, and the officials, you know, I think that much has changed, really, in the 50 years since. I mean, the Workers' Party from a height of 70 TDs and MEPs has lost so much. By comparison, the rise of Sinn Féin, you know, is, mm. is, is a different tale, a different tale entirely. But the Workers' Party, you know, it split, of course, in the 90s. Uh, Democratic left emerged from it. Indeed. Gilmore, De Rossa uh, and others came out of the party. Uh, whatever Sean Garland's legacy, you know, it was certainly a fascinating and very, very colourful life. Indeed, what a life lived as well, packed into his 84 years as well. Sean Garland, who died earlier this month. Uh, that is uh, it for today's show. Uh, Donald, thank you as ever uh, for coming in this afternoon. Donald Fallon, uh, the author of the Come Here To Me blog and book, Volume 2, an excellent stocking filler for Christmas. <laughs> plug, 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 because he did it last week and he won't do it again, so I'm going to do it for him. <laughs>